Alan, welcome to North Derbyshire Radio. It's a pleasure to have you on board. You're going to be joining us every month to talk about, I'll say everything in the world of sport, which means we'll inevitably uh, disappoint someone by missing out Speedway or something like that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> focusing on North Derbyshire, but the rest of the world as well. And it, it, hopefully some exciting discussions to come. Hello, Richard. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, it, it, it's great to have this uh, clean canvas and we'll sort of paint on it and, sit and, and, and see where we go. Sport is always colourful, even without spectators. But we need that colour back, don't we? We need that backdrop back in place. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. Yeah, we, we will do a, a, a year in. Episode. Yeah, a year into this. And uh, it certainly doesn't seem the same whether you're there at grounds reporting on matches or watching on tv or listening on the radio the the fake sounds i can't do with them anymore i have to watch without the uh the fake sound now i think they had the england band on at the uh the san marino game last night and they're, they're not popular at the best of times i'm thinking oh, i can't cope with this anymore <laughs> yeah i think i'd uh, rather have uh, no sound than the uh england band but i'm the same as you given the choice uh, i elect for natural uh, sound. I don't want phony sound and phony cheering. Yeah, it's a bit like those programs you watch, those uh, situation comedies with canned laughter. I don't want any of that. Um, but I'm conditioned really by going to games. I must have gone to 40 or 50 uh, games now to cover for radio in empty uh, grounds. And I've become attuned and accustomed to only hearing the shouts of the players. It's quite weird. And particularly in these more cavernous stadiums like uh, Hillsborough uh, and Bramble Lane, where there's an echo with it as well. Weird. Yeah, we, we need to talk about those two cavernous stadiums and, and the atmospheres that will probably be there at the moment. But well, we'll start in, in, in Derbyshire and we'll start with Chesterfield, who have uh, certainly turned things around recently under their manager and uh, on the verge of the playoffs in the in the conference, or the National League, I should say. Yeah, clo- close to my heart. Uh, my family moved north when I was uh, eight years old and uh, moved to Chesterfield with my father's job. And so they became my team. And that remains the case to this day. And I've seen some great times and some less than great times at Chesterfield. And these are the worst, well, the last two, couple of years have been the, the absolute worst uh, times. I've seen many a, a promotion, but I'm starting to think that we might see uh, a promotion this season even. It's been quite an amazing turnaround and it's easy to see where that turnaround started. Uh, with the appointment of James Rowe, hand on heart, uh, I'd never heard of the guy and I'm sure that's true of most Chesterfield supporters going into his appointment came from Gloucester City, and he's performed spectacularly well. I mean, managers do get overpraised and over-criticised, so we have to be careful. But what strikes me about James Rowe is he came to that interview with more than a plan to present his own criteria. It wasn't about coming there and saying, I'm qualified at this, I've got that badge, I can do this, I can do that. He had a a vision for the football club that extended to any number of signings that he he presented to the the new owners. And he signed virtually a whole team. And he had that vision and he must have sat down in a darkened room for several days and watched hours and hours of videos and then put together 
from his network of, of contacts the signings that would make this transformation. So it was a real vision, and we're seeing it uh, take very vivid shape. And I've got to say that however impressed I am with the players, and I, I've seen just one or two games, I'm not as well-versed as uh, supporters who watch every game because, of course, I'm working elsewhere. But I'm impressed more with the manager than with the team at this stage. You know, he's the biggest single factor. As you say, he's, he's almost an unknown person. I've had to look on his Wikipedia page, which is never the best of uh, things to do to find information out about someone because you're never quite sure if it's true. But uh, apparently he earned a master's degree in coaching from the Johan Cruyff Institute in Amsterdam, which sounds like high praise indeed. Yeah, well, that sounds good for starters, doesn't it? It's the kind of thing that you can present at an interview and blind people with, but it's not just been style. There's been so much substance as well with the names he's put forward. Do you know what what I thought, having seen uh, Chesterfield a few times, you know, going back to when there were crowds in the ground and also early this season when John Pemberton was still in charge, I thought it was a talented team. Uh, there was a bit of flair in it, but it was fragile. It was pretty feeble, let's be, let's be honest. Um, there was a soft centre to it, and I mean that literally. Uh, the midfield was porous. And when I've seen Chesterfield under James Rowe, they've looked a damn hard side to beat. You know, they have lost the odd game, but you really need to be a good team to beat them. I did actually see in the flesh the game against the leaders, Sutton United, and uh, Chesterfield were edged out 1-0. I think the better team won. But even against the leaders, this was a competitive team that wasn't going to be a pushover and uh, might have even got a point out of it, but for one quite spectacular save. So I think you can gauge from that um, that this is uh, a durable, uh, honest-to-goodness football team that's going to win more than it it loses. Uh, I've I heard one or two comments that it could be more attacking. And I think in that regard, the loss of Tom Denton um, has been uh, damaging, uh, particularly, I think, to Aquasi Asante. Uh, you know, it's quite a, quite a good partnership of gel between, between those two. And without Denton alongside, Asante's going to have to work a lot harder uh, for his goals. But it's a fine line, isn't it, between being more attacking and suddenly opening the floodgates to what I was talking about earlier. So I'm not going to quibble with James Rowe. I think he's getting the balance about right. And momentum goes a long way, particularly at this time of the season. And, well, frankly, at the moment, I'd be surprised if they didn't get into the playoffs. What a turnaround that is. Good to see Tom Denton's name, a player I saw earlier in his career when he was playing uh, in uh, West Yorkshire at Wakefield, the team I covered at the time. So good to see him still uh, getting the goals, albeit not quite at the moment. And and you mentioned the, the playoff picture in the National League. I've got to stop calling it the conference. I'm, I'm far too stuck in my ways. You know, as, as, a, as a follower of rugby league, we love a good convoluted uh, playoff system. And the, and the, uh, the National League gives you that opportunity with, uh, what is it, six places, the, the four who go into that one-legged tie and then the two above them who get the advantage. So only, what is it, looking at the table, two points behind as we speak. A very good opportunity yeah. for Chesterfield to get up in there. And obviously, with, with games in hand over others and the league's a mess, as we know, with the way things have gone this year, uh, anything could happen in the next uh, month or so. 
Home to Weymouth on Saturday, that's another opportunity. And who knows, Saturday night, uh, Spyrites might be in the top seven. Um, thank goodness that the season wasn't ended when there was all that debate, clubs were struggling and where was the money going to come from? Well, now Chesterfield have had, I think, the best part of a million pounds forwarded to them to support the club and cushion uh, the losses. And the season will go on and will continue and will come to a climax. And what a climax we can look forward to. And the other thing is, of course, next season, when spectators can be back, we can even dream at this stage of going to the stadium and watching a league team again, <laughs> a League Two team again. What a prospect that is. And the gap that there will be between the end of the season and the beginning of the next, which becomes this time a normal gap of around three months. Do you know, I think that's a good thing because were we looking at crowds coming back now, um, we'd be looking at a ration of, of spectators. I don't know what the, the limit that would be allowed would be, but I'm imagining that by the time we get to August, there will be no limit uh, at least that's what I hope. We all want to return to normal life. I think it's been absolutely incredible the way supporters, football supporters generally, have respected the lockdowns and by and large have stayed away from stadiums. There was that fear that football behind closed doors would attract uh, an element of supporters who wouldn't stay away, who would congregate outside. Football supporters have had a, a bad name because of a very small minority of thugs, let's be honest, over the years. But we've not seen that element at all. And I think it's shown that, by and large, football supporters are absolutely decent, law-abiding citizens. There's been, I've been around grounds and there's been no uh, congregations of supporters trying to either get in or get close at all. And they've stayed away and when you consider the frustration that they, they must be feeling, I think hats off on that, on that really I do. Yeah. They must have some uh, great willpower in Sheffield because both uh, professional clubs, not having the best of times at the moment. Uh, and uh, protests have been mainly online, you know, so blocking owners and such, which is kind of a, a more modern form of protest, but let's start at Bramall Lane. Uh, I think, you know, a, a friend of mine is a season ticket holder. He had uh, resigned himself to relegation, I think in December, uh, possibly earlier than that. Uh, but he was firmly in the uh, camp that Chris Wilder got them up twice. He's the man to get them back up into the championship. But he wasn't happy with the way things have been going recently. So I wonder if he's uh, dialed back on that. And he did say last year they did get a lot of narrow victories. This year, those narrow victories have turned into defeats. They've replaced the manager. But they haven't replaced him with someone who appears to be a long-term solution, at least in my mind anyway, judging by his, his past record. But Sheffield United, what's going on? Go on, Alan, you, you sort well, them out for me. <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, Paul Heckingbottom, great guy, did a great job at Barnsley. He's the caretaker manager. But I don't think he would have any particular claims on the job. I think he'd be more than content to go back to the academy. He's not out there saying, hey, pick me. You know, I'm the best uh, replacement for Chris Wilder. Who is the best replacement for Chris Wilder? Those are huge boots to fill. As regards supporters in Sheffield staying away, well, there's not been a great deal of motivation for them to actually uh, attend games, even if they, if they could this season on both sides 
of the city. Um, you're quite right to refer to those narrow victories that Sheffield United had in that remarkable season in which their results uh, outperformed the team, really. And a lot of that um, was to do with togetherness. A lot of that was to do with very good management. A lot of it um, was, I think, to do with the Bramall Lane crowd um, as well. And if any team was going to suffer more than most from the sudden absence of spectators from a ground, it was, it was going to be those teams who were doing the best at the time. It was going to be those teams who had a good connection between the manager, the players and the supporters. And I've never known in 40 plus years of reporting on football, a closer bond, a closer together football club uh, than Sheffield United during the period in which they got two promotions from League One and in which, incredibly, they pushed for Europe and ended up finishing ninth in the Premier League. It was absolutely watertight between everybody there. And it's no exaggeration, in my view, to say it was worth a point every home game uh, just to have that connection. So you take that away and you're taking a life force away from a team. And while every team has sort of suffered, we've all in football suffered in some way or other from the fact that there are no spectators there, not least the actual product, if we can call it that. There's no doubt in my mind that that's played a major factor. I was talking to a Blades fan on a walk recently and we were saying that it was a bit like all the supporters have gone contentedly to bed in March 2020 and had had the worst nightmare and had woken up from it to find that it was all true. You know, that is the transformation there's been between March 2020 and March 2021. And I think coronavirus and the lockdowns and everything have had a great deal to do with it. Um, as for anything else, well, it's been kicked around, not least by me. I cannot support... Um, I cannot defend, shall I say, a football club that contrives to lose a manager as great as Chris Wilder. And I don't use that word lightly because in my time at Bramall Lane, there's been only one manager comparable with Wilder, and that was Dave Bassett, who also got two promotions. And actually, uh, on balance, I still put ahead of Wilder because... He kept Sheffield United in the top flight for four seasons, you know, on a very limited budget, different times, of course. And I think Bassett's achievement was exceptional. I think that um, Sheffield United's team outgrew the football club and what it could do under Wilder to keep the growth going. And I think the relegation this season, considering all the factors, has been inevitable and it hasn't been... Uh, embarrassing in many ways because you would have expected maybe something like that to happen last season. They overachieved, overperformed. It could easily have happened last year in different circumstances. It didn't. And essentially, what Wilder needed, and he'd seen this because he and I sat in a TV studio in, uh, was it July 2019, in the glow of the promotion to the Premier League. And in the chit chat beforehand, I said to him, before we actually went on air on Sheffield Live, I said to him, you know, 
I honestly think you'll be all right next season, your first season up. I think the newness and the enthusiasm and everything will get you into a safe position. Mind you, I didn't predict they'd finish ninth. But I said, he said, yep, yeah, so do I. And I said, I tell you what, the following season's going to be a problem for you unless you're able to sign established Premier League players to add to that team. And he said, yeah, I totally agree with that. What happened was that he was never in a position to sign established Premier League players because they cost 90 to 100 grand a week. Now, I'm not saying that's right. I do think that player salaries have reached obscene levels. I don't think anybody in life can justify it. But that is the reality. You know, that's what they earn. And I know that Sheffield United's pay ceiling is around £45,000 a week. So you work it out. So any money that Wilder had, he went out for younger players from a level below who he thought could graduate over time. It wasn't by choice. You know, he didn't go and sign Rian uh, Brewster as a first choice and, and others, Jaden Bogle, Max, Max Lowe, etc. He signed them because... He couldn't go for the um, Callum Wilsons and you could name any number of players, you know, of high calibre that he wanted. So it's, it's no surprise where they finished. You throw in the fact that the most influential players have either been injured or out of form. Jack O'Connell springs to mind. I think he was the one that United could least afford to lose. He's about three players in one um, down that left-hand side. And a team that had devised a system that was really working of overlapping centre-backs, if you take away that one on the left-hand side, you're playing in mono. And where do you go? If there is a weakness with that system, it's you've got two players in it, in this case Basham on the right and O'Connell on the left, who you can't find replacements for if they get injured. That is the one flaw that I can find about a pattern of play that's been very innovative and has taken Sheffield United a long way. If either of those outside, I'm not talking about Egan so much in the centre, but if either of those on either side are injured, where do you go? Who, who, who is there who can, who can play that way? And I think that has been the flaw for Sheffield United and, and that has done more damage than anything else, losing O'Connell. It's unbalanced the team. You throw in the fact that Fleck, another influential player, John Fleck, has had injuries. He's also not played at his best when he's played. And you look right throughout the team. They've never had a settled uh, strike partnership this season. So you add all those factors together and it's not surprising where they are in the table. But I tell you what would have been surprising had Chris Wilder still been at Bramall Lane, as I firmly believe he should have been, is that next season they'd have been right up there with that squad pushing very hard for a return to the Premier League. Now, I'm not so sure. Yeah, the the appointment of the permanent manager there will be fascinating. And and they can't even have the, uh, well, at the moment, it looks like the uh, excitement of a Sheffield derby next year because Sheffield Wednesday in the relegation zone in the championship. But having brought in Darren Moore, they, they appear to be turning things around slightly. So uh, still a chance, of course, that they can escape relegation and, and bring back the Steel City derby next season. Yeah, I hope they do. Uh, it was a great victory at Barnsley and um, you know that springs some hope where there hadn't been any because they hadn't won for so long but I think that there's a, a factor at Hillsborough 
there has to be considered whether Wednesday stay up or go down. It's the overall management and running of the football club has to change. There has to be a plan. Sheffield United have had a plan. It might not have seen, seen this season that they had, and it went askew because the powers that be off the field weren't in tune with the manager who had achieved so much. But Paul Mitchell uh, and Chesterfield fans will, you know, uh, join me in saying this, is an incredible uh, chief scout and recruitment expert. Uh, losing him was a massive blow to the Spyrites, and he's done a, a great job at Sheffield United. Now, in that season when they were trying for promotion from the championship, Paul said to me, uh, I've got... I'm working on two plans here, Al. He says, I've got a plan, a recruitment plan for if we get promoted. And I've got a recruitment plan for if we're still in the championship. He says, I've got two lists of players. He says, I can't tell you how busy I am because I'm scouting out so many for all eventualities. I don't think that's happening at Sheffield Wednesday. And I don't think that's happened at Sheffield Wednesday for a long, long time. I'd love to be proved wrong. But as we speak now, I doubt very much whether anybody at Hillsborough has a list of players and priorities on what to do if the team stays up and a similar list of priorities and players that might be wanted if the team go down. And it's that lack of any structure or direction that's led them, in my view, into this situation where transfer dealings have been piecemeal, the approach to the management has been piecemeal because they've had so many and they've jerked from one type of manager to another. No wonder the players' heads have been spinning. And amid all of this, there's been a stagnation of the playing squad. Um, when Wednesday played Huddersfield just recently at home and drew 1-1, actually the performance was worse than the result. It was a really insipid performance. I worked out the average age of the 11 that started that game, and it was 30. 30 years and one month. Now, increasingly, we're seeing athleticism as a major part of the game. They're coming up against younger teams. The players they're up against might not be of higher quality, but they're younger. They're more zestful. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying they're fitter. I'm not accusing the Wednesday players of not being fit, but they've got too many older players in one dressing room and the chemistry is wrong. And what's led up to that is there's been no progression plan. It's been allowed to happen. And so in the future, somebody's got to get hold of it. Somebody with football expertise. I, I give the credit to the chairman, Dave Chansiri, for his commitment, for enduring a lot of criticism, for keep financing the club without his finance. I think they would have gone to the wall. And he's had a particularly difficult last year with the pandemic and the lack of income coming in. But he really has to look at himself in the way that he's running it. He does allow managers to manage in terms of picking the players they want. Managers are consulted about recruitment, but they don't drive it. And it strikes me that Mr. Shansiri needs to put in there, take a step back and put in there people of the relevant experience and expertise to actually run the football club for him so that he's not having the final say on everything. I'll give you an example. Uh, if a bid comes in for a player, he's not the best guy to decide if that bid matches that player's 
valuation. Um, I think it needs to be driven by a manager and a director of football who know the game and who know the realistic price of players, but above all, are working to a budget so that Mr. Shansiri will say, this is what you've got to work with uh, for, the, for the coming season if we're in League One or if we're in the Championship, it's that. I trust you as a team to get on and expedite that. And if you don't do a good job, I'm still in control and I can come in on that and replace you. You know, the, the idea that the owner being hands-off rather than hands-on suddenly loses his power is wrong. Uh, delegations are very, very powerful tool. And furthermore, that I, I think a lot of the criticism that he justifiably gets would be removed if he held his hand up as we all make mistakes and say, yeah, I've had a look at this. I've realised that in some areas I've got this wrong. Um, everybody, look, even, even the most hard-hearted Owls fan would say, well said, well played, thank you for saying that, and applaud him if he took the necessary steps. That is honestly the case. You know, he wouldn't lose face. I think there's a, a culture thing possibly in Thailand that, and this may also be true at Sheffield United with the Saudi owners, that there's a loss of face if you take a step back. Our culture is different. I think the reverse is true. There's a gaining of face and a gaining of respect. And I really sincerely hope that Mr. Shansiri listens to that and does what's necessary. Because if he doesn't, I feel that Sheffield Wednesday could slip even below League One. Honestly, I do. We start you positively, and then we, we've got yes. into a, a big negative section based in Sheffield, which I'm sure many people listening to this will be very happy to hear about. Uh, let, let's look positively to the future. Um, it, I can't believe it's a year ago that I last stepped foot in the stadium. I was at the last rugby league game before uh, yeah. lockdown, a packed crowd to watch Castleford versus St. Helens. Uh, I think it was pretty much the last sports event before everything just went bam, right, we're shut. I haven't been to a stadium since to watch a match, so I haven't had the experience of going to a game. You obviously have. I can imagine it from from going to It's all about the social aspect. You, you see people you see all the time, uh, whether you're a reporter or a fan, you see people there, you say hello. You, It's a whole social experience. And that's all been taken away. I can imagine it's just a, a, a completely different experience to anything you've ever experienced. It's weird. Uh, I find myself, you know, saying, is this real? Is this real? I'm, uh, I'm driving to, uh, to grounds in no traffic. I'm parking either in the club car park, which is not always the case, or, or very close to it. Uh, I'm then walking to the ground and seeing nobody. I'm having my temperature <laughs> checked, um, filling a form in, and then climbing into an, an empty stadium um some of them have got you know enormous really and you climb i've been counting steps uh i was at hull city recently 115 steps i, I, I do i do not miss going up those stairs at the case the kcom or whatever it's called these days i do not miss that at all no it's a good fitness workout <laughs> good fitness check you know that you're medically okay to continue doing the job when you when you do that particularly carrying some quite heavy gear and then at Hillsborough, I think it was 96 I counted. Uh, I think it might be slightly less than that at Bramall Lane. But all the while, seeing nobody apart from the odd colleague, walking down empty concourses, getting into um, a seat and looking at a totally uh, 
empty stadium. Uh, and it's almost as if you've got a private viewing. I mean, there's a few of you there. So you then think, how lucky am I, you know, that people are getting no kicks in life. They're, they're, lives at the moment consist of working and watching tv or watching watching videos but nothing special you know, can't go anywhere uh, and i feel really really sorry for most people and i feel extremely fortunate that i can go and do a job that i enjoy even though the enjoyment is not as great now i can still go there and that's a release for me but uh is it the same <laughs> no um and I sometimes do think I'm actually dreaming it. You know, that I'm, I'm saying I'm at Bramall Lane, I'm watching a Premier League football match, and I'm seeing some famous figures on the touchline and even more famous people on the field, just not very far from me. And uh, there's about 20 or 30 of us there watching them as if they've, they've come to perform, you know, in your back garden almost. Um, and that's weird. It's very, very strange indeed. You know, I've, I've done a couple of derby games and there's Wayne Rooney down there and he wandered down the touchline afterwards and have a word and there's nobody else there. You think, this, this ain't right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to describe. But I think what it's, um, what it's actually done has given us some long-term benefit, I think, in sport in that hopefully, finally, we'll come to our senses um, people who run the game, particularly those who run the financial side of the game, will realise what a priceless commodity football supporters are. And I think that when crowds are, are back, there should be some consideration made to paying spectators to attend rather than the other way around. Seriously, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking with that because during this period, a lot of people have become disaffected with it. Um, They've not been able to go, so a habit has been broken. I think this is really dangerous for professional sport. A habit has been broken, not just for a few weeks, but for a whole year. Um, and people have saved money that they would otherwise have spent. And we're talking thousands of pounds, aren't we, for, for regular sport watchers. Uh, maybe their wives or partners have said, well, you know, we're, we're a lot better off. How come you, you spent... £7,000 last year watching your team go, going around the country. We can't afford to do that again. Um, so all the... And, and people are disaffected with it. The games are on TV every single day. It's a bit like stuffing your face full of chocolates on a daily basis. Um, I'm suddenly becoming sicker. I don't want another chocolate, thank you. I've, I'm, and, and you're watching in an empty ground with no atmosphere... The TV companies who pay millions and billions of pounds for the product, uh, uh, as they call it, are not getting value because all of, all of a sudden it's worthless if you haven't got an atmosphere, uh, you haven't got people uh, in vision, packed stadiums, give the game uh, a status that isn't there at the moment. Um, so the crowd needs to be the number one priority getting those people back, but having got them back, recognising them, not ripping them off with admission prices, you know, steeply rising all the time, not flogging them replica shirts at exorbitant prices. You know, let's appreciate these people. I fear the worst. I, I, I fear money will kick in and, again, people will be disregarded. But I think it applies 
dangerously at all levels, particularly with the number of foreign owners we have in this country now who haven't got an emotional attachment with the clubs that they're, they're, they're owning. And you can't build an emotional attachment in one, two, three, four, five years. You, you, it's, you've, got to be, you've got to be steeped in it. And therefore, I don't hear or I don't see football club boards listening to those disenfranchised fans. I don't see Sheffield Wednesday and the ownership there listening to the clamour for change there. It's almost brushed off. I didn't see Prince Abdullah at Sheffield United listening to the groundswell of support for Chris Wilder and his plans at Sheffield United going forward. Disregarded, I'll do what I want to do. And sometimes you're cutting your nose to spite your face. Chris Wilder can be combative, but he was the guy who would have brought that club back. And, you know, it's... It's more than carelessness. Sheffield United have contrived to lose him. And I know what Chris Wilder's terms, if you like, for staying were. They were more than reasonable. He wasn't saying, get your checkbook out. He was saying, I'll only sign loan players next season. I want to still be in control of my budget and recruitment. And I want to retain my best players. And that was it. You know, it wasn't that. And, and that should have been accepted. Uh, for the good of the football club, in my opinion. And I think the football club is the loser at the end because I don't see a single winner in what's happened at Sheffield United. But I've rambled on and I've got <laughs> away from the main point, <laughs> which is the value of football supporters. Pay them to attend. Don't ask them to pay to attend. It's like a TV audience. You get free tickets because you know, you're there to add to the atmosphere. You're there to provide a service because as we've seen from watching games on TV in the past 12 months, it's not the same, and and it, no, it can't be until there's, there's, as you say, the the canned audience, the canned laughter in the crowd. It, it, it's not the same. It's not the same. No, it isn't. I'm looking out the window. It's raining here as we record, <laughs> which reminds me that the cricket season is on the way. I'm sure we'll talk about that. The county cricket season, I should say, because the uh, the, the world of cricket never ends. I'm sure we'll we'll delve into that next month, Alan. But uh, it has been a pleasure. Uh, I'm sure we've spoken for far longer than we planned to, which is always uh, the problem with these things. But uh, plenty of interesting points made. Hopefully the listeners will uh, agree. And if they don't, that's good as well. And uh, we shall speak to you again next month, Alan. Thank you very much for your time. No, thank you, Richard. Disagreement is always welcome, honestly. Uh, It's that tiny minority of abuse that's just not acceptable. We've just got to drive that out. We'll talk about that. Maybe that's another subject that we can talk about, particularly with social media. But an absolute pleasure to be with you, Richard. And, you know, I've looked forward for quite a while now to getting a few of those views off my chest. So thank you. Not that people can see this because this is radio, but the amount of abuse I've had of of my hair in one of my other projects (laughs) over the past 12 months... (laughs) Uh, I, I feel like I'm almost a professional footballer. I wish I was. Yeah. Uh, Alan, thank you very much for your time. All the best, mate. Cheers.